when they introduce me as a guest speaker, I always think, oh, good, they're going to pay me. (laughs) Never happens. Well, I'm... (laughs) It's good to have Tark back in one piece, a living piece, yeah. Well, this morning I want to look at um, righteousness or good works, what they do for us, what they don't do, and just a few thoughts on how we can make them count for us. An active, dedicated, hard-working church member had a vivid dream. Now, this is kind of put out as a true story, but I'm not quite sure whether it is or not, but you'll get the point anyway. He had this dream, and he dreamed that he died, and he was going to heaven. And as he got close to the gates of heaven, he saw this big sign that said, Entrance Requirement 1,000 points, and he started to feel very, very anxious about this. He walked up to the angel at the gates and he said, that requirement seems pretty high. Do you think that I might possibly have enough points? And the angel said, well, why don't you tell me what you've done and we'll see. And so the man started off, well, I've been a Christian for 32 years. I was baptised In 14 years, I never once missed Sunday school, and I taught a Sunday school class for 12 years. Well, that's wonderful, said the angel. Now, let's see, that's worth one point. (laughs) And the man just went as white as a sheet, and he felt extremely anxious by this point. But he went on, I faithfully tithed, I served as an elder, I served on the finance committee and the building committee. Um, I, was, I was on every working bee. I mowed the grass. I did repairs. I did painting at every potluck. I helped to set up the chairs and the tables, and then I stayed late and helped to pack down. I did all that. Um, I witnessed to my family and friends, and I won quite a few people to Christ, and I never cheated on my taxes. And the angel was like, fine, fine, that's all good. Now that's worth another point. So now you've got two. And the man was just devastated. He was shattered. And then finally, when he could say something, he said, well, I may as well give up. I'm never, ever going to make it into heaven. In fact, it's just impossible for me to get there apart from the grace of God. Oh, now you're talking, the angel said, that's worth 1,000 points. (laughs) And at that point, the man woke up and he just felt like he'd been through the ringer. He was exhausted when he woke up. But from that night on, he had a different perspective on his Christian life and he saw God's grace in a whole different light and his Christian life was better for him. Aren't you glad that being saved and making it to heaven doesn't depend on how good we are or the things that we have done? Righteousness is a word that comes up over and over in the Bible. But one thing that we need to sort of get with that is that there are two kinds of righteousness. There's God's righteousness and man's righteousness. And, 
you know, we need to do both of them, get both of them, but there is a big difference between the two. And of course, Christians have wrestled for ages with the tension between, you know, God's righteousness, which we get as a gift by faith, and man's good works. So it's not really surprising that it's kind of the proverbial million-dollar question. Now, if you were to ask anyone on the street, and sometimes our young people have gone out and done this, or various people do, what you have to do to get into heaven, assuming that they're not Christians and that they believe in the afterlife, which most people do in one way or the other, you know, most of the answers that you that you get will be some version of being a good person or doing enough good stuff to outweigh the bad. And that is so common. It's the same for most, if not all, religions in the world and most human philosophies. And that thinking is so, so common, but, you know, it really is one of Satan's big fat lies. It really is. And it is a fatal blunder for anyone to believe that God would consider them righteous and to save them and to take them to heaven based on anything that they've done. God's righteousness is perfect and absolute. Psalm 145 verse 17, the Lord is righteous in all his ways and holy in all his works. On the other hand, man's righteousness is far from perfect. In a very well-known verse, Romans 3, verse 23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, it doesn't mean we should give it up. It's very important that we do everything we can to live righteous lives. But we've just got to understand that our righteousness and our righteous deeds are not going to take us one step closer to heaven. Well, what makes someone righteous or good? I think often we think, or maybe we don't think, but there's that kind of understanding that being good is better than is being better than somebody else. And Tark would dispute about ever making a mess, but sometimes I complain when Tark makes a big mess. Yeah. Okay, ladies, guys don't see mess, do they? <laughs> but, but he has a standard response to my complaints, and it's always like, well, would you rather be married to? And then he goes through this list of the most dreadful men that you could possibly think of, which is all designed to make me think how wonderful he is and how lucky I am and, and to forget about the mess which is really a very small price to pay for having such a wonderful husband when you think of all the other people who are out there you know, and you get the picture being good all depends on who you compare yourself to well that sort of flawed reasoning (laughs) doesn't work if we bring God into it because God is just so righteous and so perfect and so far above human beings. 
Isaiah describes God's righteousness in glowing terms. So beautiful, so wonderful, so glorious. He can't even look at it. He falls on his face. But then further on in Isaiah 64 and verse 6, he says that man's righteousness is filthy rags. Now what he's talking about is not like a rag that we would use to wash the floor or wash the car. Really, it's something that we wouldn't even touch. It's so gross that we would burn it or throw it away. He's talking about an old strip of cloth that, you know, thousands of years ago, they would use as a bandage to put on a horrible infected wound. They had no antibiotics. An infected wound or an ulcer or a cancerous sore and they would put this bandage around it. Now, sorry guys, this is not for the faint-hearted. They would wrap it up and they would leave it on until it was oozing with pus and crawling with maggots. And then they would take it off. That's what filthy rags are. Yuck. (laughs) And he's saying that's how God sees our good deeds or our righteousness. Now, this is what we've got to get. He's not talking about our sins or our failings. He's talking about our good deeds, our best behaviour. This is how God sees our giving, our good deeds, our fasting, our praying, our serving in children's church, our sponsoring a child in India, visiting the sick, witnessing, you know, our best sermons obeying the road rules, paying our taxes and all that kind of things. In God's eyes, contrasted to his righteousness, that's how it looks. Now that doesn't mean that we shouldn't do it. You know, that that doesn't mean that we live any old how and, you know, swear and cheat and sin all over the place because who cares if that's how it looks to God. Not at all. You know, those good deeds are very important to God, our good works. God loves them. He values them. But we've just got to get it in perspective compared to how God sees it. But we still desperately need righteousness and morality on a human plane, but just with that understanding that it's never going to be good enough to get anyone into heaven or into God's good books, as it were. Um, Many years ago, in part of Dutch New Guinea, they used to use a certain kind of clamshell for money, and in fact, I think they used it right up until the early 1930s, which is quite amazing. But just imagine um, a couple of missionaries in that time frame who maybe went with their family to Dutch, Dutch New Guinea and were there for years and years, served there for years. And then, you know, came the time when they went back home by boat. And so just before they were due to leave, they had a bit of time on their hands and so, you know, quite nostalgic, they wandered along on this isolated beach. And then they saw hundreds of these clamshells and they thought they'd been there for years. So they thought, wow, we're rich And so they picked up all these clamshells and they packed them into suitcases and boxes and, you know, off they went. And when they got back home, they go to the bank where they do the currency exchange and they tip them all out on the desk and they say, we want to exchange these for dollars. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. 
Were those clamshells money? Yes, they were, but only in one place and one time. And it's the same with our good works. We need them. They are absolutely vital and valuable to this life in this place and this time on earth. But they only work in one place and one time. Now, of course, most people think that they count for a whole lot more. They think that they count for heaven, for getting there, but they don't. Now, one such person who thought that was Chopper Reed, I don't know if you read about him, pretty awful reading, he was a notorious Aussie criminal who died a number of months ago. They say he was always polite. He was known for his perfect manners, though armed robbery, grievous bodily harm, extortion, kidnapping and murder. Good manners? Yeah. He stabbed and shot people. He removed toes with bolt cutters. He held a blowtorch to someone's feet. Not polite, is it? That's rude. (laughs) He said he wasn't afraid of dying. I won't be going to heaven, but I don't see myself roasting in hell either. Well, I don't know where he thought he was going because... The Bible makes it very, very clear that heaven and hell are the only two options in eternity. But he went on, I don't see myself roasting in hell because I reckon I've done more positive things than negative in my life. I've written 13 best-selling crime novels, done a lot of paintings, been the subject of two DVDs and a movie, and released two CDs. I'm loyal, kind and generous. I've been a good father to my two sons. All in all, I'd have to say I'm a reasonably good bloke. Well, Reed's life is far from typical, but this comment, I don't see myself roasting in hell because I reckon I've done more positive things than negative in my life, is very, very typical of how most people think. But it's not true. It's not true. Titus 3 verse 5, he saved us not because of righteous things we have done, but because of his mercy. Jesus' final words from the cross was his dying shout of victory, it is finished. He was announcing that the work of salvation was complete. He had fully paid that costly ransom for the souls of all mankind. It was like done and dusted, not one cent more, not one drop of blood more needed to be paid, ever. And we just have to be really clear about this. The only thing that we contribute to the whole deal actually is the sin that made it necessary. So believing that being good gets us to heaven is just a very beguiling but a very pervasive lie. And you know, it doesn't just suck in unbelievers and keep them from coming to a saving knowledge of Jesus. I mean, that's by far the worst thing, but to some extent it really can knock Christians around and undermine their faith and their joy and their confidence in God. Now, most Christians don't have major issues about being saved by grace and not by works, of course, but just enough of that big lie can kind of seep through the cracks in our understanding, enough to make us feel 
condemned, not good enough for not doing enough or not being good Christians and all of that. And I've known Christians whose whole Christian life has been blighted by that kind of stuff. I mean seriously. Not heaps, but some. And so it's just a truth that we need to take hold of. Okay, so why should we do these good works? Well, first of all, it's totally God's plan for our lives. You know, our righteous living and our good deeds um, don't count for salvation, but it totally matters if we do them or not. God cares. He cares very much. And one of the reasons is for the people living in this world who will benefit from those good works. And God has actually planned them before we were born. Ephesians 2 and verse 10. You might want to have a look at this if you've got your Bibles. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And created there is like you know, a masterpiece that God has made. It's about being born again for God's purpose and that is this whole package that God has for our lives and all these righteous good works. And God plans for us to walk in them, is the word in some versions, not to be saved by them. Though the way that... um, We're not saved by them, but doing them may be the way that we get God's saving grace out to other people because often that's the instrument that will draw other people in and Wayne Cordero mentioned that um, numbers of times. One story he told was how he mowed his neighbour's lawn a few times and that led to the neighbour and his wife getting saved. Matthew 5 and verse 16 says, In the same way, let your light shine before men so that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. So our good works cause unsaved people to look to God. We should also do good works because God rewards it, rewards us for it. Matthew 10 and verse 42. And if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones because he's my disciple, I tell you the truth, he will certainly not lose his reward. We will be rewarded for everything we do if we do it in the right way. Our service in the church, at home, at work, in the community, and for using the gifts and the talents that God has given us. In Matthew 25, verse 14 and 30, we have that well-known parable of the talents. And just one of the things that we see is that the basis for rewards is not about getting huge opportunities or or having great gifts. If you read verses 21 and 23, you'll see that the servant who was given five talents, which he used to make another five talents, and the servant who was given two talents, a lot less, but he used them to make another two talents, they were both given exactly the same reward, word for word. It's exactly the same. And so you see that the basis for rewards is not about how much opportunities or gifts. It's simply about being faithful and diligent with whatever God has given us, and anybody can do that. Now also, we are, we're not saved by our righteousness or good works, but 
They are like the evidence of saving faith in our lives. Well, now in verse James 2 and verse 18, but someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by what I do. And I kind of like the medical thought on this one that it's sort of like having a blood test and the, the deeds are like the, the results that, that give that positive di- diagnosis. Yes, this person really does have saving faith and the good deeds show that. Now the next thing is how are we going to make our good works count? Because not all good works are equal. On one hand, a Christian's cup of cold water will merit a good reward. But on the other hand, the mega-rich unbelievers' millions given to a good cause could leave God totally unimpressed. So both our faith and our attitude make a difference here. Now, one thing is that we need to look for God's approval, not man's. Just be very careful not to go overboard on the praise of man. I'm not saying that we don't need it. You know, a couple of weeks ago I was... Um, playing with my grandson Zach who was two years old and we were doing jigsaw puzzles and when he put a piece in I was saying oh you're good well done and he's like no Nana you clap your hands and say awesome (laughs) so I clapped my hands and said awesome and he was very happy with that But of course as we get older we get a bit more subtle about how we go about getting our needs for praise and affirmation met. But you see, you see even with little children that is a normal natural part, look at me, it's a normal natural part of our human personality. It's not wrong, only if some people get addicted to approval and then they've got to deal with that. But we just have to be careful that we're not getting too much of that from man and not looking to getting it from our heavenly father because if that gets out of whack if we get it the wrong way around then we could really be in trouble Um, you know where are we Um, we see that Jesus criticised some religious leaders who loved the praise of of God more than the love the praise of man more than the praise of God and this was really bad they loved the praise of man even to the extent that they were not willing to confess their belief in him which actually throws some real doubt on the genuineness of their faith and I'll just read that verse John 12 and verse 43 Jesus said for they loved the praise from men more than praise from God Now another warning about that, um, Matthew 6 and verse 1, he says there, be careful not to do your acts of righteousness and um, subsequent verses bring out your praying, fasting, giving before men to be seen by men. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. And Warren Wearsby, that great commentator and writer, says the Pharisees love to advertise their giving and some people today love to tell others how much they've given. If this is their motive for giving, then they have their reward, the praise of people, but they have no reward from the Father. So, you know, just it's not wrong. We should be able to receive and give encouragement, but just not overboard. 
Now this one seems pretty obvious but if we want our good works to count we've got to do them even if they seem insignificant. And this is the one talent servant problem often. You know, don't worry if, if you think that your gift or your talent is small. Just go ahead and give it and use it anyway. Remember the widow's might. In Mark 12, verse 41 to 44, we see Jesus watching people put their gifts into the temple treasury. And this poor widow put in two small coins worth next to nothing. And some people might have thought, what's even the point? But Jesus said she put in more than anyone else because he knew that she'd given all that she had. You see, he didn't just count the dollars. He counted the cost in terms of her circumstances and her sacrifice. No one is disadvantaged when God is handing out rewards. You know, as one of our ladies once told me, and I've never forgotten it, she said, it doesn't matter what you do, the pay is the same. We also need to watch out for the sins of the Pharisees, and we're talking about pride and self-righteousness and hypocrisy. And if you've got your Bibles, you might like to turn to Luke 18, verse 10 to 14. Luke 18, 10 to 14. And we'll just read that. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. Just The, the Pharisee just oozes pride. You know, we see the self-righteous Pharisee and the contrite tax collector. And one of them went home changed and forgiven, and it wasn't the Pharisee. You know, this really highlights the pride and the self-righteousness of the Pharisee. In Proverbs 6, verse 16 to 19, we see these seven things that God hates, and pride is right at the top of his hit list. Now, other things that we see at different times of the Pharisees is being blind guides, so blind to their own failings, leading other people astray. They were legalistic and judgmental, big on rules, short on mercy and love. They were hypocrites. You know, and God sees through that. He hates it. Jesus didn't come to condemn sinners, but he really had a lot to say about hypocrites. Now, at heart, Pharisaism was a move for righteousness. It was their concern for righteousness that caused them to do the things they did. They did them so hard. They did them so carefully. They did them so wrong. There were some good ones like Nicodemus and others, no doubt, but a lot of them were not. Paul had been a Pharisee. Saul of Tarsus, he was called, and he was a very zealous Pharisee. But, you know, what did he do in his zeal? He persecuted and imprisoned Christians. 
So if you're going to have zeal, it's got to be for the right thing. No one prayed more, no one fasted more, no one read the Bible more, no one had more hope in the coming Messiah than the Pharisees. But when he came, they were his worst enemies. Now you might be thinking, well, we don't even have Pharisees around, but we do. You know, one of the worst things about these Pharisees is that they're very slippery characters. And they sneak and they slither and they lurk in our hearts. And we've just got to be on the lookout all the time because it's so easy to get into these things. Jeremiah 17 and verse 9, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. And deceitful there means crooked, deceitful and polluted, which is ugly stuff. You know, we are so, our hearts are so deceitful that we can rationalise a lot of the things that we do. In last Sunday's paper, um, some, of the, some writers, about eight different writers, were describing their worst jobs. And one of them wrote about a stint in a superette with this nasty, creepy boss. And her last paragraph was kind of like, in return to the bosses, the things he did, we stashed packets of various products into our school bags. We knew no guilt. We were getting our own back. You know, even decades on, she could justify her stealing because the boss was awful. Chopper Reed, that Aussie crim, said he personally killed four people and seven in the company of others but he could rationalise killing those people because either they were trying to kill him or they were sexual offenders against children. Oh, flip, they deserve to die, don't they? That's what he thought. You know, and maybe we don't kill people, but I think we can all justify, I know I do, sins at some level. But let's remember that our measuring stick for what's good and righteous is God, not man. Another key to making the most of good works is to stick to the plan. Psalm 139 and verse 16, Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. God has that plan before we're even born. And it's up to us to walk in those things, to find out what God wants, how to live. Most of it's in the Bible, but even the more specific things what sort of service to do, how to develop the gifts he's given us to be led by the Spirit, you know, with God's help, how to follow that plan, not to get sidetracked. Brian Bailey always used to say there are no rewards for doing someone else's work. The only thing that happens if we're over-responsible or we're doing things that other people should be doing is that we don't get our own stuff done. So it's true that the books do have to be balanced, but not Chopper Reed style, not by doing enough good deeds to outweigh the, the bad. It's something that, that God does. Second Corinthians 5 verse 18, but God reconciled us to himself through Christ. Ephesians 2 verse 8 and 9, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourself, it is the gift of God so that no one can boast and that's basically it we've got nothing to boast about everything we have everything we do comes from God and I think that 
if we're just going to condense this whole thing down to one word, it would be humility. Walking humbly with God, following his leading, and just being so thankful for what he's done for us. Bless you. Thank you.